If I have a title today, it's either Oh Save or Save Us, they shout. Let me start with a story about me in a cafe just a few weeks ago. How many of you here love preaching the gospel, spreading the word? Thank you, sir. Well, there's a few hands up. How many of you are the type of people that you like to get out on the streets and go and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, there's a few of you in here. I would call myself a reluctant evangelist. <gasps> Did the pastor say that? It's not my natural to get out, be on the streets, looking for people to be born again. It's my desire that people are born again. But it doesn't come naturally to me. Yet the kingdom of God is here, isn't it? So a few Wednesdays ago, we had a very special prayer meeting and a gentleman was speaking via Zoom. And what he said really touched me. But I didn't know it affected me. He talked about the fact that time is short. He talked about his own life. And he he talked about the fact that we need to take every opportunity, every opportunity to speak the gospel. So I'm in a cafe with a friend one evening a few weeks ago, and um, we're talking. So actually, it was the next night, and after this gentleman had been speaking, and a couple of ladies came into the cafe And for some reason, I looked up as they came in and took their seats, and one of the ladies smiled at me, and I smiled back. Then all through my conversation with my friend, I could feel her. I could sense her. I knew that they were from another religion, but I could sense, and these people, you don't easily approach them. But I I kept sensing, I need to say something to her. But what, me? I don't want to say anything to her. I don't want to say anything. So I carry on, but I've got this feeling, and then suddenly the two ladies get up to leave, and I find myself leaving my seat and following them. Oh, my goodness. And as they're getting up towards the counter, I say, excuse me, and they turn to look at me. I say, I'm really sorry to disturb you. And I could hear myself saying words that I wouldn't ordinarily say. And as I'm saying them, I'm thinking, what made me get up? And I said, you probably will be offended at what I'm about to tell you, knowing the background that they come from, the way they were dressed. I said, but when you came in, you smiled at me. And the lady said, oh, yes. I said, and your smile is so beautiful. I said, the one who gave you that smile, Jesus Christ, wants you to know he loves you. And then I had that look. I said, I know it probably offended you but you needed to hear it. Thank you for your time, and I scuttled away. So what drove me to get up out of my seat and go and approach these ladies? And inside of me was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Well, let's go to my text for today from the book of John, St. John chapter 12. St. John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. 
and the title, of course, is Jesus Comes to Jerusalem as King. Today is Palm Sunday. We've been celebrating all morning um, on this amazing occasion where Jesus is worshipped as he enters Jerusalem. So we begin at verse 12 of John 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. I'm reading from the NIV. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Verse 16 says, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, hmm, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Because they knew that this was the man who performed the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, each year since Israel, the nation of Israel was formed and the Lord was teaching them in the Old Testament what to observe, the Israelites were commanded all who could travel to go on pilgrimages to the temple of Jerusalem. And this was, uh, this one, this particular pilgrimage and feast that was taking place during this time was known as the Passover. This was uh, six days before the Passover, really. And it marked, um, as it's marked in Exodus, of the Israelites from Egypt when God had set them free from slavery. So the Passover was a reminder that Israel had been set free, that Israel had received victory, that Israel were no longer slaves. So days before this Passover, there's this wonderful procession coming in. But did that procession happen every year? Every time they were going and gathering to Jerusalem to attend this particular feast? The waving of the palm leaves were symbolic of the freedom and victory. Yeah. Isn't it? Palms spoke of peace and victory. Peace. So what we must understand is that many crowds would have been making their way into Jerusalem at this time. For those of you that have been in Kensington Temple for any length of time, you would know what used to take place um, years ago, the Notting Hill Carnival, I believe it's coming back this year. But you would come outside these doors and droves of people were coming from all direction and there wasn't space to walk. Everybody was pushing everybody. I imagine that Jerusalem was a bit like that. Everybody crowding into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast of Passover. Now, if we look at some of the texts in Mark 11, in Luke 19, in also the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus told his disciples to prepare for his entrance into Jerusalem. John just says, Jesus found a young donkey. But 
Other texts say, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, uh, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. And of course, the disciples obeyed, and they found the colt. So how is it that Jesus asked them to do this? How was it that he asked them to prepare for his entrance, something that had not been done before at any other feast or festival? He had likely been to Jerusalem a number of times. The book of John certainly cites him as being in Jerusalem a previous two or three times, although the other Gospels don't allude to that fact. But he would have been at other times to observe the various feasts. But this time, it was different. He wasn't just coming to observe a feast. He was coming to do something. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem just before that feast of Passover, where he already knew what was ahead of him, that this time he would be the lamb that was slain. That's why it was different. That's why his entrance was made. His entrance was an announcement of his kingship and how appropriate that song, that last song was, King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. And it was an announcement of the coming kingdom. Jesus knew who he was, why he was, and what was truly being honoured here. The kingship of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. So he went with purpose. He prepared, he instructed, and they went ahead. But did the people truly recognise and know who he was? As I said earlier, we were singing, we want to see your kingdom here. Do we know what we're asking for? Did they recognise who he was? Hosanna, they shouted. Its meaning in this text actually means, oh, save! So there was an excitement The king has come, save, Hosanna, we're saved. He's come to save us. They were shouting. They waved the palm leaves, the symbol of victory, of triumph, of peace. Picture that scene. In he comes on a donkey. Palm leaves are waving. Say it with me. And they begin to shout. Hosanna! Everybody say, Hosanna! Hosanna. Oh, save! Oh, save! Oh, save! Oh, save! That's the cry. Save. That's what you've come to do. That's what you've come to be. This king, the one who saves. But let's look over again at Mark um, chapter 11 and verse 9. It says here, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. 
Here in this version, in this text, they're shouting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Did they see Jesus' coming as an earthly kingship? Is that what they understood by the fact that he had come and they were rejoicing? Were they looking for this earthly king to rescue and save the nation of Israel? Again, John 16, the disciples did not truly understand, it says. Let me just read that for you again, John 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. They didn't know. They didn't understand. Only after Jesus was glorified, lifted up, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So did the congregation understand or were they asking for um, the kingdom of David to come, an earthly kingdom? His disciples clearly did not understand until he had risen. And then Luke 19, 39 also says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples, because everybody was shouting, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But the Pharisees did not understand who he was. That's why they said, rebuke, rebuke. So the crowd possibly didn't understand, although they knew to celebrate, they knew something different was happening on this occasion. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, certainly did not approve and did not want to understand. And again, John 12, 19, as well as those disciples says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. They didn't understand what perhaps people sensed. Now, they would have gone after him and maybe not understood what they went after. Did they go after him because they'd seen the miracles? Did they go after him because, indeed, the news spread that he had raised Lazarus from the dead? Did they go after him because the way he taught was so different to the way the religious leaders were teaching? Something drew them to him, but none of them truly understood what Jesus was bringing. Spiritual salvation to the world. A peace that was not understood in their day, nor in our day, if you're outside of Christ. Not earthly salvation. Jesus had come to establish his kingdom and his rule in the hearts of men and women. He didn't come to be a politician. He didn't come to fight with man. Isn't it interesting today that wars are taking place in the world? And these wars are about taking territory. That land belongs to me, I'm gonna take hold of it. I'm going to bring my rule into another nation that didn't belong to me. That's what the fight is about, bringing their rule over another imposing themselves, taking nations and destroying them and changing them. Jesus wasn't here to do that. His kingship was different. He came not just as himself, but he came 
with a kingdom. What did this kingdom and what does this kingdom look like? In Matthew 6, verse 33, we're encouraged to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. What is it we're seeking? I've written a few things down that I thought about the kingdom of God. It's a place of love, of peace, of understanding, of patience, of giving, of preferring others, a place of healings and miracles. But the list is so long. A place that would bring us back into right standing with God. That was the purpose of the kingdom. The crowds loved to follow him. But let's turn now to Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, where I'm going to bring just that thought about the kingdom of God together. The kingdom has come. Some have recognized, but most did not understand until it was revealed to them. Romans 8 verse 37 says, no, in all these things, what things? The verses before spoke about how nobody could separate us from God, spoke about how Christ gave himself and he would protect and he would um, intercede for us and stand you know, in the gap and that nothing would separate us from him. So, no, in all these things that would come upon us, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That whole text from verse 31 um, talks about being more than conquerors. And earlier in the chapter, it talks about the everlasting love of God, for it's his love that drove him to the cross. His love for us. So, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Greek word there is hupernikomen, I hope. And that is the meaning of that entire phrase, according to my ESV Bible Helps. More than conquerors, there's one Greek word that says hupernikomen. It appears only once in the New Testament, so it's quite specific to this verse. Hooper means over and above. Nikomen means victors. Conquerors. Over and above conquerors? That's what it means, more than conquerors. Christians, according to what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach, are over and above victors or super victors. Are we super victors? Do we have super victory in every area of our life? Do we know that we are overcomers? We truly are. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come. Christ brought his kingship, his kingdom into being. This kingdom says that we are more than conquerors. This kingdom says we are overcomers. We are over and above victors because of Jesus Christ. So is that what led me to jump up as those two ladies were leaving the cafe? A sudden boldness came upon me that just I wouldn't choose to do it. But there was something inside of me that prompted me that day. The kingdom of God had come alive at that point for a purpose. The kingdom of God is alive in us 
Yet so many times we are unaware of this presence, of what we carry, of who we are. Remember I said that Jesus knew his purpose. He knew why they were celebrating and worship him, worshipping him as he entered Jerusalem. He knew that he is the king of kings. Do we know who we are? This kingdom of God must still come in earth today. What they may not have understood in those days, we have the opportunity to understand today because Christ is risen and the promised Holy Spirit is with us. What was Jesus wanting them to understand about his kingdom, that it was a kingdom that was different to what they knew, what they'd had, what they understood. We are privileged today to have this kingdom within us and to have the knowledge of the kingdom of God. So what happens to our lives is very different to what would have happened to them in those days. This Palm Sunday, every day, we can boast in the work of the cross. He died and he rose. He conquered and we are over and above victors. We can take full advantage of the message of Christ and we can choose to agree with him and bring his kingdom into every situation in our lives. Um, many, many, many years ago, I um, was in a difficult situation in a relationship with another member of um, a worship team that I was part of many, many years ago. I was a new Christian, actually. Um, and this, this girl, she just didn't like me. I was learning what Christianity is, walk in love, walk in kindness, and she was just always horrible to me. One day I was going to the rehearsals and I would go with a kind of dread and a fear. What's she going to do to me today? What's she going to say to me today? And I, I wrote a little song based on um, a scripture in 2 Corinthians, I think 5, 10 or 10, 5, 10, 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And as I began to write that verse, I began to sing the song and the chorus was simply, that is how I am the victor over all my circumstance. That's how I'm the victor. Because I cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. So even the thought that she would be horrible to me, I would cast down. And I would declare, that's how I have the victory. You see, unbeknown to me, the kingdom of God was already at work in me and in that circumstance. Eventually, I received the most beautiful letter and poem written with an apology and with being told that she loved me because that stance stayed. There was this difficult circumstance. There was me being bullied. There was me being um, treated badly for no good reason. But I kept living the kingdom. Cast it down. Cast it down. Bring the kingdom into my situation. That's how I become the victor over all my circumstance. So let me just carry on in Romans 8 and verse 38. So we've said, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And then verse 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we are going to bring the kingdom of God into our lives, into our environment, then we must be able to understand and take hold of the fact that nothing can separate us from his love. That nothing will move us. The love of God remains static with us, carrying us. The kingdom of God is in us. So how do we do that? We, we need to apply the kingdom of God in our private lives. In our everyday living, when our circumstances don't look great, bring the kingdom of God. Peace, power, love, miracles, whatever it is that the kingdom of God carries, we can bring it into our situation, just like that example I showed you just now. I had to keep speaking the word into that situation. But the kingdom of God... We must declare it also in our public lives. We come to KT, some of us watch KT online. People know who we are. Those of you who live in this area, you could barely go about Notting Hill Gate and other places of London without seeing somebody else from Kensington Temple. So how are our lives looking in front of the public? Do we bring the kingdom into every situation? What are we doing in our nation and what are we doing in our communities? Are we agreeing with politicians? Are we agreeing with gossip? Are we agreeing with things that are not of God? Or do we bring the kingdom of God in and become like Jesus was when he was teaching? His teaching was notably different because his thinking was different. And that's what we have to do. We have to stand out as people who are notably different in our communities notably different because the kingdom is what we're carrying the Holy Spirit showing us what to do what to say I would be very interested to see at Easter time whether or not notable members of our royal family or notable politicians will be pronouncing a blessing for us at Easter as has been done for other faiths in this nation where is our voice? Where is the kingdom of God in each area of society? We must do all we can to ensure the kingdom of God is seen in our society and that we do have a voice, not by fighting like others, not by insulting and playing politics, but by bringing all the kingdom yeah. carries Amen. into our lives. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Why don't we stand? I would just like us, as we stand, to declare yes. together. The kingdom of God is here. Let's say that together. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And say this. The kingdom of God is within me. The kingdom of God is within me. The 